We're going to go back to Acts chapter 3 tonight. I've, I've really just, just been burning in my spirit for a while, quite some while. And so it, I'm going to go back to the restoration of all things. We're going to look at that again tonight and just kind of take off from where we were at last time. Last time we were in the book of Nehemiah. We're going back to the book of Nehemiah tonight. Because I just feel that's where the Spirit of the Lord is bringing us to in the restoration of all things. And so Acts chapter 3, we know the verses. We've read these. We're just going to read again, uh, starting in verse 19. It says, the Bible says, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And I'll just reiterate a little bit on that. That, that word repent is metanoia. The word, it means to change your mind. It's not that you change your mind, but your mind is being changed, all right? And this is by, by revelation of the Lord. And it says, be converted that your sins may be blotted out. So that the times, the kairos is the word there, the kairos of the new breath may come from the presence of the Lord. That's what that, if you were to write that in the Greek and you would release that word in Greek, that's what it would sound like to a Greek ear. So that the kairos of the new breath shall come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus Christ, who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. And so there's that word, and we we went over that Greek word a while back, apokatastasis, and there's a couple of different translations of how to pronounce that. But it, it essentially means uh, the restoring or rebuilding or reconstituting and, and all bringing things back into its original uh, the original way, the original presence, or the original uh, structure. And so I, when I begin to read that, man, all, all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord took me back to Nehemiah because Nehemiah was the restorer of the breach, a restorer of the wall, restorer of the city. And so I went back into Nehemiah, and I just, again, I'm going to reiterate a little bit about this because I think it's, I think we got to really get this in our spirit. Nehemiah had a heart to see the city turn back. He, he had a heart to see things brought back into place. He had a heart to see things come back into the beauty that it was once was, that it was developed in. And so he, he, the Bible says that when he saw the city or he heard news that the city was broken down, that he, he completely lost all composure, just lost it before the Lord. The Bible said he went into prayer and fasting. He was not, and not fasting. I seen somebody put something on his Facebook the other day and said they had fasted that, I don't remember what it was. They fasted so they would get something. And I was like, that's all fasting for. Fasting's to hear something. You don't fast to get, you fast to hear. And I know a lot of times that gets lost in the church world. We're going we're to fast till God moves. No, you fast till you hear and you move. Amen. So I begin to I begin to think about that and about how Nehemiah his heart was to see the restoration of all things. Can I? Can, we we talked about this a little bit about this before. You you you're going to see what you believe if your heart if you have the Bible says that, that you know it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's where, wherever your heart's at, where wherever your desires, wherever your 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 passion is at. That's eventually what you're going to see. Daniel's passion is the the reservation, and I'm, I'm believing that the Lord's already given vision of that and he's seeing some of that come forth come past and it's happening even as we speak right now we may not see it in the natural as what what we're saying but in the spiritual realm man it's taking place and a lot of times we we are again we go back to that carnal mind oh i've got to see it before i believe it but in the spiritual realm or the kingdom realm you have to believe it before you ever see it it's upside down and backwards from what we know so Nehemiah had this heart, and you know, in the chapter one of Nehemiah, the Bible says, you know, he went, uh, he just he began to beg the Lord. He began to ask the Lord, "What do we do?" He said, "I know you've done things just greater than this before." And and he comes into the Lord with great supplication and just blowing his. He was just throwing himself to God and saying, "Listen, I'm the man. I, I don't know a weakness. We just need to fix this thing." And you know, and I believe that's what it takes in a city, and that's what it takes in a nation for a bunch of hungry people to get together and. Say, 
say, you know what? We're not going to stand here and let this thing look like this anymore. We're not going to. We're not going to sit back, sit back, and sit in our pews and sit in, a, you know, in the church realm. And we're not. We're not. We're not going to do this. And you know what happens when you do that? You go angry everybody out there that's lazy. Amen. Because what happens is when you go do something, and you or you're really burning after something, it makes people feel like, oh wow, I'm not where they are, and they try, and they get so they get mad, they get, uh, and we'll see this later on in Nehemiah. This was happening to him, but it goes on, and he prays to the Lord. He said, and Lord, he said, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. He was saying, Lord, I, I, you need to hear my needs, and the Lord was hearing him. And he finishes chapter one with, for I was the king's cupbearer. He said, listen, I'm nobody. He's, that's, but he didn't understand that the cupbearer carried a great significance because he's actually the one that kept the king alive. Amen? Because he's the one that drank the drink before the king got it to make sure that it wasn't poison. So he had a very good relationship with the king because you're going to go ahead and tell you right now, if you got a cupbearer, you better trust your cupbearer. All right? So in Nehemiah, he, begins, he goes before the Lord and... Uh, but goes before the king, and here he is, and the, he was serving the king. And we're going to chapter two. This is kind of where I want to launch at tonight. The Bible says, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said unto me, Why is your face so sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of the heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And I, I began to read that, and I was like, my God. The king started seeing that he had a heart. Something was going on with the servant at that time that he had a heart. He, so much going on. He said, listen, you're not sick. There wasn't a poison that made you sick. But something's going, what's going on with you? And, and all of a sudden, something got, he got fearful because he thought, man, the king's going to try. He could kill me. Or he could do anything. But the king wasn't. I believe the king was, the Lord was working with the king. The king was seeing the sorrow of the heart. He began to see that, man, something's wrong with him. What's going on with him? And so he began to ask him, why is your face so sad? Since you're not sick, he said, "What?" He said, "I don't see nothing but sorrow on you." And so I began to think about that, and I, I began to look at what what was going on in Nehemiah at that time. And the king began to see that Nehemiah had a heart for something. He had a passion for something. You know, throughout the church, we we've been so guilty of not seeing. We don't have a passion. Where, where did a passion go in the church? All all the time I hear the church about how bad the world is, or how 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 great Satan is, and how how much Satan's taken over, and all. All these things and listen there's no but there's no passion in the church anymore nobody says you know what we don't have to take this no more we don't have to lie down we don't have to sit here we don't have to get to give in to whatever's going on we can change the circumstance we can change the situation we can change the atmosphere we can change the uh, you know the place the revelation we can we can change things I'm, I'm so tired of the cities and people saying listen Oh, it's dark outside. It, 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 we're, just, we're just going to hover around in here. We'll be the light in here. I heard Damon Thompson say that the other day. It really stuck with me. That everybody says, oh, the world's growing darker. He said, well, that ain't biblical because the Bible says you are the light of the world, not the light of the church. Amen. It's like, wow. So the world should not be growing darker. It should be growing lighter. If we take Matthew chapter 5 and really put it into play, we would see the world begin to glow from the city that's set on the hill. But we're, we're getting looking at the problems, not the solutions. And, and I think it's the, the nature, the carnal nature of the beast is to find the problem, but not look for the solution. The solution is Jesus. Amen. He is, he is here to solution. And we're part of that solution. I talked on that last week. We're part of that solution. We were, we're not here just taking up space till we get to heaven. We're, we're part of the solution of the restoration of all things. We're here to do a job. We're here to occupy until He comes. We're here to do the work of the servant. Amen. We're here to expand the kingdom of God. And that happens in all day, in everyday life, not just in the church time or in the realm of a service or in the realm of a, of a conference or, or whatever. We're here to expand the kingdom of the Lord. And it's a great and heavy weight of the presence of God that is on us that allows us to be able to do this. So... The Bible says, listen, he says this. He said, the king saw this sorrow of his heart. And so when I read that, I began to think about the, the difference between a godly sorrow 
and a, and a, a sorrow, a manly sorrow. You know, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse 10, it talks about godly sorrow, and it, it talks about a worldly sorrow. And I began to think about that when I wrote this down. I was like, what's the difference between godly sorrow and a worldly sorrow? Because he said you can have godly sorrow, and you'll see salvation. You have worldly sorrow, and you'll see devastation. So I began to think about that. So what is the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow? Well, see, worldly sorrow says, oh, it's bad. And godly sorrow says it's bad for now. But it's coming around. Come on, I, I believe I believe that, you know, that, I think that's that's the that's the evidence of your the metanoia, the change of mind, is when you begin, when you quit looking at the circumstance and you start looking at the changer. And you when mom when you had cancer, the whole time I I, I never spoke of your cancer. Wow. Because I I that they're doing good. That was that was that was worldly sorrow, but godly sorrow began to speak over it. And see, I believe this one Nehemiah had. He didn't have worldly sorrow where he said, "Oh, it's so bad, and it's oh my gosh, and what are we gonna do?" And he had godly sorrow. And when you change the "What are we gonna do?" to "What are we gonna do?" Same words, different art. Amen? From what are we going to do to what are we going to do? My God. That a preach right there on it. But our church realm has been so much in the what are we going to do? It's so bad out there. Drugs are overrunning our cities and you know what? I blame none of that on Satan. I blame it all on the church. The church should set the atmosphere in the city. That's why on the reservation, Daniel, it's not, it's not, it's not going to come from the casino. It's not going to come from any kind of helps outside of that because see, that's all worldly sorrow, feeling sorry for people. It's going to come from godly sorrow, and that's when the church is going to be really rebirthed within the land. And it's not going to happen like everybody thinks. And it's, it's, it's going to happen from within. That's what's going to create what's crazy about it. Because people are getting caught on this revelation. People are getting this revelation, and, and they're not getting it in church. They're getting it at home. But it's coming forth in power. You know, that godly sorrow, I've been thinking about that. Man, that was just, uh, I, I, how many had godly sorrow? It's to where uh, you see something, and no longer are you sorry. You don't feel sorry for them. You feel on fire for them. I, I, that's what it takes to see things change, to see the restoration of all things. It takes somebody with a heart, some people with a heart that are tired of looking at the devastation. So we've been taught in the church to keep your eye on the devastation and you'll see Jesus come. According to this, I'm going to keep my eye on the restoration that Jesus comes. Acts 3. When I think, when I see things start turning around, when they start doing a 180, come on. Then that's when the Lord comes back. Because I've been to think about that the other night. I was like, the King of Kings is not going to come back and fight a war. The King of Kings has his army on the ground, and he comes back when the war is won. He sets up his residence. So why? He said, "Why?" Why is your face sad since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of the heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And said to the king, May the king live forever. Where you heard that verse at? Daniel. Because he's bringing honor back to the king. When you bring honor back to the king, honor is birthed from the king. May the king live forever. Why, why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? And so your mind's the king. He said, listen, I've got a reason to be sad, king. 
I'm, I'm in the middle of a place that doesn't look like it used to. You know what? That's burning in my heart. Is I'm in the middle of a place right now that did, doesn't look like it used to. Listen, when you've had a taste of the garden, you will not, you, you, listen, you'll refuse anything but the garden. When you've had peace that surpasses or goes past all understanding, you will never settle for peace that you understand anymore. Wow. When you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then anything that you taste that doesn't taste like Him, you'll spit it out. Come on, that's why that's why people a lot of people are having a problem in church right now. Because why? Because they're getting a revelation that God is good, and when you get the revelation that God is good, and we're gonna go on into this a little later, that anything that's not of Him that is not good, you will not like it. Amen. And they say, "Oh, you're offended." No, I'm done. I'm done. I don't want no more of that. So he, he goes on. He says, "Listen." He said, "My face is not sad." He said, "When the city that the, the place of my father's tombs lies in waste, and its gates are burned with fire." He said, "Listen, this place ain't like it should be, and I, I won't know. This has been burning my heart for so, quite some time. If the church was right, the world would be right. But automatically, the world ain't right right now. So what's wrong? Is it the world's fault or the church's fault? And I believe that the church sets the atmosphere in the world for the restoration of all things. If the church is working, then we should come on." If the church, the way the, the way the church is set up right now, if it was on plane and it was working, we would not have people in our streets. We would not have people that were on welfare. We would not have people that were on drugs. We would not have all these things. Come on, listen. This is not, this, this, we blame the people. We, we, we blame the people, but this is not the people. The church sets the standard in the region. So he begins to look and he says, listen, these are things that right. How many ever felt that way? How many have you been looking at the church room and thought, man, we're doing this thing completely wrong? That's how I got to where I'm at now. I, I, I refuse to say we was right when we were wrong. And I've had arguments with people, not arguments, but I've had, I guess, rough words with people that said, oh, the, the church is perfect. No, the church ain't perfect. She looks like, I don't know what. Because why? Because... We have ruined her. We we have we've brought ourselves into a place where it's made it about going to church instead of becoming the church. <clears throat> so he began to go before the king and he said, Listen, he said, You know why I'm sad? I'm sad because it don't look like it should look like. And we have a hard time saying that in a church. How many have you ever I, I thought about this this week? How many have you ever done something? Marshall, you know about this. You had somebody working on something and had completely done it wrong. And you, did you ever tell them that it was right? When it was wrong? No. Wasn't in you. Somehow in the church, we've done that. People completely not do what they're supposed to do or whatever. And we say, oh, that was a good job. And I, I told somebody this the other day. I'll never, I'll never apply, applaud half-heartedness. If people go into something half-hearted and they say, oh, I'll try my best. You didn't do nothing. I'm not going to say that's good. Just ain't going to come out of my mouth. I might not say a word, all right? Or I might say a word. According to how close we are. <laughs> but we, we, we got good at that. And we started doing that to ourselves. We, we, had, a, we had a good church service. But, what, but our city's still in ruins. Really? Church service? How good was the church service if, you, if our cities are still in ruins? And see, that's where our mindset was. We, we, we had, if we could have a good church on Sunday, and then we would bypass all the meth people on Saturday night. And those are the ones. I was listening to a guy. I posted it on Facebook. I don't think anybody read it, but I had just come off TikTok. There was a guy who said that. He said the church wasn't built for the lost. And I've been preaching that for years. He said, why are you inviting lost people to your church? He said, Jesus never invited anybody to come to his church. Paul never invited nobody to come to his church. He became the church in front of a bunch of people. He, he, he didn't hey, he go, hey, Mars Hill, all the people at Mars Hill, y'all need to come over here. Go to my church. No, what was that? He was standing on top of Mars Hill. He went to the Mars Hill. He became the church at Mars Hill. The reason we don't claim the unknown God at Mars Hill is because we can't come, become the church at Mars Hill. 
We want Lars Hill to come to our church. If you don't know that story, go back and read it in the book of Acts. So then the king said to me, he said, what do you request? He said, what do you want? You know, I believe the Lord said that to the church or told us a lot of times. He said, what do y'all want? Well, we didn't even know what we wanted. We, we said, well, well, we'll take this. No, what do you want? What do you want to see? What do you want to see? What do you want to see in the land? What do you want to... He asked him, the king asked him, he said, what do you want to see? And here's what his answer was. This is, I love this answer. Because the Bible didn't say that he told him what he wanted to see. He said, so I prayed to God. He said, so I, he said, what do you want to see? So he said, I said, I prayed to God. That's exactly what it says. It says, the king asked, he said, what do you request? He said, so I prayed to God in heaven. Because, see, he didn't even want it. He didn't even want what he wanted. He wanted what God wanted. And sometimes we get hung up on wanting what we want instead of wanting what God wants. And that's why Jesus was always quick to answer. He said, listen, he said, let me pray to the Father. I only do and say what I, what I hear the Father say. Because why? Because I ultimately want to, I want to do His will. I want, to, I want to be in His Word. I want to be where He wants. And ultimately we know that God wants to restore things, but we want to know how He wants to restore things. Amen? So He asked Him, He said, listen. He said, what, what do you request? He said, so I pray to God in heaven. And, I, and this is, I read that and I was like, my God, this is, this, this is, this is the power uh, he, he wanted to. He wanted to do what God wanted him to do, not just do what he wanted to do. He didn't want to just do things to do things. I'd be tired of doing things to do things. I want to do things that are correlated with what the Father said. And so he he began to say this, and he said, he said, "What do you request?" And so he he prayed to the Lord, and, and I believe the Lord answered. He said, what do you want to do? The Lord already knew what he wanted to do. But he asked him anyway. Because he wanted, I believe he wanted to hear it from, or hear it from God or hear it from the Father. And he said to the king, he said, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And I began to read that, and I was like, wow. He said, here's what I want. I want you to send me. You know what we pray? Lord, fix it. God, come down and heal our city. God, change it. Change our nation, Lord. But what if we humbled ourselves and said, send me, God. Isaiah said that he said, Who am I? He said, He said, Here I am, Lord, send me. He said, Send me. He said, It was and see it, that word is an apostolic word. I believe really when people think I love it when people say they're apostolic, but they and they want to send people, but they never want to be sent. They never want to go, they want to never never do. It's always somebody else doing. All right. <clears throat> But he said, he, he said, I want you to send me. He said, if it pleases you, send me. Send me. He said, I will rebuild this city. And man, I thought, what a task. He didn't say, I'm going to go build parts of it. He didn't say, send me and I'll get my gate. He said, I'm going to go rebuild this whole thing. He was looking at a city. I'm not talking about a house. He wasn't looking at a little, a, a little shack and said, hey, I'll go fix that. He was looking at a city. He was seeing devastation in all counts, in all lands. <clears throat> because we're good at the minimal task. We say, Lord, I'll, I'll fix this part. But what, what if you said, what if, what if we looked at the nation and said, you know what, God, just send me to the nation. We're always talking about, I, will, I love prophetic people are always like, I'm a prophet to the nations. Well, you're in this one and you ain't prophet. You ain't. What are you doing? But you want to go to Africa and fix them? That's cool and all, but it'd be really nice if you fixed this one first. Be really nice if you built the gates back in your city. So, 
He said, he said, Lord, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do the work. He said, but our church mindset is the opposite. We're ready to go out of here. We're, God, just call us on to heaven. We're so rapture-minded that we can't be kingdom-minded. I, I, I mean, I, honestly, I hear this all the time, and it drives me nuts now because why? Because I'm offended by anything that don't taste like Him. When I hear people say, I'm just ready to go. I'm like, really? You look around at all these people, your friends, your family members that are not saved, that you think are not saved or whatever, and you're ready to leave them. You're just ready to go up into your little corner of heaven and finish out the rest of your eternity. And these people down here are just going to burn and whatever. Really? If I was really raptured-minded, I'd be praying against it right now. Don't take us out there. Jesus prayed it, right, Marshall? He said, I pray that you don't take them out of the world. John 17. But you keep them. So our whole mindset is not about going and doing. Our about is, is just leaving. We'll, just, we'll, just, we'll head on out of here. And when we get out of here, Amen. I don't know what we'll do. We watch from above, watch it all get destroyed. I don't know. But we came into that theology a long time ago, uh, especially in the in the Western church age, to where we're all about leaving and nobody's about staying. And I, it's so funny because I talk to people a lot of times, they're like, well, where do you get that in the Bible? I'm like, it's all over it. It's it's all it's all over the Bible. And you took two verses and made a whole theory of something that's not. Because it sounded cool. It, sound, it ain't nothing cooler than leaving a planet that's going to blow up. But there ain't nothing realer than staying in the planet that's going to expand. It's throughout the Bible. It's the whole book of Revelations. So the king hears him say, he says, listen. He said, and, uh, so he asked for the favor. And the king said to him, said to me, the queen also said by his side, listen, every good king's got a good queen, right? Amen. <laughs> Sitting right beside him, said, how long will this journey be? And where would you return? That was the only question to ask. You know, somebody me didn't even ask him, how are you going to do this? How, how are you going to rebuild this? You know, if I was going to tell like church leadership, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to rebuild this whole city. They'd be like, there ain't no way. How are you going to do that? But said this king had some understanding of what a heart looked like. And the king says, listen, how long are you going to be when you're coming back? That's what I want to know. How long is it going to take you? The Bible says, so it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. My God. He didn't just say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the time was, but I believe he said, give me about three weeks. Man, what if we're so sure in God that we, we didn't, we wouldn't count on 50 years for this thing to happen. We're, we're thinking about five. But what if, what if we got to the place where we would say, well, it's, it's going to be in my in the, in the third generation here. You're like, well, this is fixing to be birth now. He said, send me. And so I set a time. Man, I love that. That's brazen, isn't it? He said, send me. He said, give me a couple of days. You know what we would have said? I have no idea when we'll be back. Because <laughs> we don't even know how this thing's going to work. But something in Nehemiah said, it's going to happen. See, when you get something burning really deep in your heart and your passion is to see it done, ain't nobody can talk you out of it. I think I read this quote on Keela's Facebook page before we were ever married. Because I was snooping. 
that said faith that fizzles. What's it say? Faith that fizzled before it finished had a flaw in the first. That's powerful. I can't remember who said it, but I seen it on her page. So that's why I married her. because <laughs> that was on her page. <clears throat> listen, and then he, he, he keeps talking to the king here. He says, furthermore, I said to the king, listen, He's not just going to say, hey, listen, I'm going to go. He said, I got some more conditions about you sending me. He said, if it pleases the king, he said, I want you to write me some letters. And we talked about this a couple times ago. Write me letters to be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they may must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And so... Here, here he is. He's like, he said, listen, I'm going to be back in three weeks, but I'm going to need some letters. Because I'm going to know, I'm going to run into some people out there that are going to say, hey, you can't come through here. He said, but if I got letters, if I got a, if I got a letter from you, if I got a seal from you, if I got a stamp on it, that they know that it comes from you, he said, they're going to let me through. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, about the being sealed in the Holy Spirit. It's not what we're sealed from, it's what we're sealed for. And so when you're sealed in the Holy Spirit, and when you go into a land that said, uh, you, you might think in your head, oh, they're not going to let me through. But when the Spirit of the Lord shows up, they're going to open up a gate. Amen? They're going to open up a door. And they're going to be able to let you through. And this is what he's saying. He said, as long as i got your letters in my hand, I don't need a sword. Amen? Because this is mightier than the sword. As long as I've got the, the stamp of your approval, he said, I'm going to let you, they, they, they're going to know when I walk in, and I said this before, when you walk in with the power of the Holy Spirit into a region, it's just like the Holy Spirit walking in the region. Why? Because you came in the name of Christ. The Bible says Christ in us is the hope of all glory. It says, as, so as he is in this world, so are we. And so when we walk into something and we want to see it change, we don't have to ask God, will you please just protect me? Will you please just do this? Will you please look that? He said, no, you just be me. Amen? You just walk into them being me. And when you walk into them being me, they're going to part like the Red Sea. Things are going to open up for you. So he had the letters in the hand. These are letters of authority. These were divine favor. This is, this is the king saying, listen, not only am I going to send you, I'm going to give you my seal. And everyone you come in contact with will know that you have the authority to be there. Ain't that good? I mean, here they're not sealed by the Holy Spirit. And you've been taught what you sealed from, and nobody told us what we are sealed for. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. He said, we'll give you these letters. And when you walk in, they're going to let you through that region, and you're going to Judah. I always thought it was cool that he's going to Judah, because that's praise. That's where praise is at. Let's read on. And he puts another stipulation and a letter, he said, I want you to also send a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. You hear what he was saying right here? He said, listen, I'm going to take your letters, but I also need your wood. So I want you to let send a letter to Ethan. I want you to send him a letter. And I want you to let him know that I'm going to come by there today, and we're going to get me a big load of wood because we're going to rebuild some city wall gates. We're going to build. We're going to build some things. We need some timber. Listen, when you're on a mission from the king, it's okay to ask the king for provisions. Listen. I always thought it was cool. He's not only said that, he said, he said, I am the house that I'm going to occupy. He said, because while I'm there, I'm going to build me a house. And that's where I'm going to start to rule. That's where, that's where things are going to come forward. That's how this city is going to be built. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, you can't re rebuild a city by running through it. You rebuild a city by sitting in it. 
you take up residence. You know why? Because if he'd have come in there and tried to rebuild this city, everybody around him would have thought him just to be a pioneer just passing through. They would have never took him for his word. But when he comes up and he sets his residence, he builds him a house, and he said, I'm staying here until the city's rebuilt. Then everybody's like, oh, man, he's serious. He's going to build his thing. He, he ain't playing. So he says, listen, he says, and for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So I begin to read that and I'm thinking, wow, he's not only, he's not only got the, the ability or the anointing to go through land and do things that nobody else is going to do. He also gives him provisions to go and do it. He says, here's your letters and here's your some wood. Here, go build your house. Go, go build back the walls. And they didn't even question him. Amen. They didn't even ask him why or how are you going to do this? Will you show me some blueprint? You know what? I think sometimes, listen, we, we pray in this and I've said it before myself. So I always say, Lord, we need blueprints. Listen, you don't need blueprints to build when the king's giving you everything to build with. Blueprints are nice. You want the blueprint looks like a garden in Genesis. Build it like that. Blueprints have their place. But see, there's a grace that surpasses blueprints. You know what that mean, what that looks like? I can do things that I didn't know I could do. Everybody's relying on what they know instead of what they don't know. Amen. I, I, I think about that a lot of times. I, I, where, where's the I can't girl at? She, she's not in here no more. But Daniel get on his girl on bugs because she says I can't. He reminds her of the sermon I preached on. I can't. It, listen, because I, that is the most degrading word I believe in kingdom history is the word I can't. What if Nehemiah had said, I can't go, God. Find you somebody else. I don't even know if Nehemiah knew that he could. But I knew Nehemiah knew that he was called. It's greater to know that you're called than that you can. And when you know you're called, then you can. That's the problem. We're relying on can I and not called I. So we're making every excuse in the world about why we can't do this and why we can't do that and and I can't do this and I'm just not a good sociable person. You know what? I'm gonna go ahead and tell you right now. I'm gonna pray. If somebody else tells me that I ain't good at talking to people, you know what I'm praying for? That God gives them the tongue that they can't shut up. Because I always hate that when people well, I can't speak. I mean, really? You can't speak. Well, you be like Moses and get you an Aaron or something. I don't know what you, you're going to do something. Because I mean, it's a cop-out. I mean, I, I, I tried that cop-out before. I remember some, one time somebody, when I was really young, somebody asked me, said, will you come teach Bible school at our church? I was like, I can't. That's exactly what I said. You know what the Lord did? He kicked me like for an hour in the service one time. You know, the Bible says that, uh, that uh, Saul kicked against the pricks. This is the Lord kicking me against the pricks. He said, really? You can't? You can't? You can't? That's all I hear from you. I can't. I can't. That's all I hear. You, go, you can't. You can't. I can't. I won't. I don't know how. No, no. Listen, what? That should never be in our vocabulary. And I'm learning that more and more. I'm saying yes to things I didn't know I could do. I remember one time, Marshall, when I was, when I was younger, I went to, I, I had a job, you know, I switched jobs frequently when I was young because I just went where the money was. I, I'm very loyal to people, okay? I'm mean, like, if somebody's paying a dollar more, I'm going there. So I remember I went to this job and they, they asked me, they said, they said, can you, can you run this, uh, it was a big front end loader, big Trojan front end loader from 1950, I don't know. And they said, can you run this? I said, yes, sir. Never seen one. Never seen one. So what did I do? I said, he said, well, you're going to start Monday. I said, well, can I have the keys to it? They're like, yeah. 
So I've got the keys. I show up two hours early, Monday morning. Start seven o'clock. I'm right five. I'm running that. I fired her up, got her in, figured out what this button done, that button done, figured out how to make go back, make stop. Within two weeks, I was running like everybody there. Did I lie? No, I was just, I was just going to get the job. Amen. You weren't going to talk me out of it. But that's against what it takes sometimes. You know, we talk ourselves, how many of you talk yourself out of more junk than you could ever really think of itself? We're good at that. I don't know how I got off on that. But I, I love this, what he says. He said, and, and, the, and the king saw the goodness of the hand of God upon me. And he, when the king saw, listen, I, honestly, I believe people, when, when they say you're in it for the right reasons, man, they can't say no. They're going to let, they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to send the provisions. And, you know, and I, I think the Lord's the same way. I think the Lord's, when the Lord sees your heart in the right spot, he, he, he can't say no. He's just going to say, go. He's going to say, go to. And so he began, he said, don't you write these letters to him? And he said, he sent the letters. He said, he said, uh, he said, also, he said, I want, you know, my house and all these things. And he says, then, then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had set captains of the army and horsemen with me. He didn't even ask for that. See, when your heart's in the right place and you're, Bent on restore, restoring or having the restoration of all things. There's don't there's gonna be things that come along beside you that you didn't even ask for. The king said, I'm gonna send some army with you. He didn't even he didn't ask him to send the army. The king sent the army. I'm reminded in the Bible where it talks about Elijah. And Elijah was there hemmed up in the city and he sent his servant. Remember his servant went out and he said, Servant, what does it look like? They was gonna to try to kill Elijah. He said, Elijah, he said, We are surrounded. He said, there, he said, I don't know if we'll ever make it out of here. We're gonna die right here in this little camp. And Elijah said, Look, go back up there and look again. He came back and he said, Man, it's it, it's bad. It's worse. Come on, listen. This is come on. This is that whole mindset. The mindset of going and look at how bad it is. But Elijah prayed and he said Lord, he said open his eyes. He said go back out there one more time. He went back out there the next time. He began to look and what did he saw? He saw a whole band of angels sang the song. Somebody sang it. Camped all around him. Come on, listen. This is what Nehemiah had. Nehemiah had a whole band of people that were going to protect him. People that were on his side that he didn't even ask for. Elijah told him, he said, open his eyes. King, uh, the Lord opened the servant's eyes. The Lord, the, the servant sees the band of angels. Uh, Elijah and them come out of there. He blinds the enemy. Elijah and them go around him. The kings want to kill him. Elijah said, no, let's feed him. I preached a message on that one time. I said, you know, I, I, I don't remember where I was at, but I was, I was like, the ones that are after you, you're eventually going to lead. And you're going to feed. He said, the hand of the Lord was upon him. Then he went to the governors and the region before, and the king had sent his captain of the host of the Lord of armies with him, amen. It was a heavenly host. You ever noticed it? Whenever there was something spectacular happened in the Bible, that angels showed up, the heavenly host came, amen. The Lord was always a, the, the announcement of the birth of Jesus. There's a whole band of angels camped all around him, amen. <laughs> At the tomb, what did they see? The angels. I, I preached a message years ago on on that. I followed those angels all the way up from the book of Genesis, all the way through the book of Revelations in a message. There's the ones that there that were guarding the tree, the way of the tree of life. They were found at the tomb. They announced them. They announced his coming. They announced his going. They were there when the, when Joshua set his foot in the land of Jericho. The heavenly host. Man, let's go on. We'll, we'll finish up right here. So. Nehemiah got the heart to rebuild and restore. He's starting to get all the things together. Get all, all the things the, the, the king has been giving him. All these things. He said, "Here's my ability. Here's my anointing. 
here's my here's my wood. Go build this. Go here's your here's your house. Here's you some armies to go with you. And the next verse. Because listen, anytime the anointing of the Lord is on you, there's always going to be those that come against you. I've had people come against me that I have not a clue who they are. I block people that I don't know if they're real on Facebook. I just block them. I, I honestly, I can think I could start my own football team. I could make an awful, awful, an awful, awful good offensive line. Amen. He said, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite officially heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. You want to be hated? Start preaching restoration. Come on, you want to, you want to be blacklisted? Start preaching the restoration of all things out of the book of Acts. So all of a sudden, here comes the opposition. I, I preached a message on this years ago also, but this opposition really meant something in the Bible. I'm going to tell you what, this, uh, what the Spirit of the Lord downloaded me. Uh, Sanballat. There's two names mentioned here as Sanballat and Tobiah. There was actually a third one that actually came on board the team also later on. Sanballat and Tobiah were the two main characters. And whenever the Bible mentions names, you better pay attention. Sanballat, the name Sanballat means a, an enemy from the bush. It means a secret enemy. These are the ones that are cheered you on up until the time you got anointed. These are the ones that always had your back. Up in the time until God sent you. These are the ones that said, Yeah, use them, Lord, until the Lord used you. And now they're mad. And Tobiah actually means that Yahweh is good or God is good. But these are the ones that preach God is good, but never, they know Him. Is good, but they never know him as good. And you know, I know that because if Tobiah had, had any spiritual sense in him at all, when he saw that this man had a heart to rebuild the city, he should have been on board with him. But you can't preach God is good and then allow destruction to come. What am I saying about that? People preach God is good, but they never see him as good. They say, oh, God's going to judge this world and He's going to judge all of us. He's going to judge us from something called righteous judgment. That's good judgment. I don't know what that looks like or how to explain it, but I know righteous good judgment is, means it's in the right standing. Amen? So here comes Sanballat and here comes Tobiah. Every time, you can, you can mark this down, and you can probably write this down, you can probably write a book on this. Every time the Lord has anointed you to do something, you had the Sanballats and the Tobias to come out. The Sanballats come out of the woodwork. The Tobias come out of what seemed to be good, but, but preached bad. That's why the, the, the restoration of all things is so hard for the church to hear is because most of them are sand ballots or Tobias. They're waiting to attack anything that God's doing. And then they'll call anything that's bad God done it. I remember back when Texas was flooded. And I had these idiots. I'll say that's that's the way I feel on my Facebook saying that God is judging Texas. I'm thinking, why did God just pull Texas out? What did Texas do to God? And see, those are the people that preach God is good. But yeah, he's judging Texas. And then I saw that, I don't know if it was there or around about the same time, where there was nursing homes that were flooded. And people were drowning in these nursing homes. I'm like, so your good God just went and judged the nursing home. It's because we preach this good, we don't, 
We preach God as good. Uh, we preach God is good. We never, but we never know that He is good. We we preach a message that is really counterproductive to bringing the lost to Christ. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now: if you tell me that God's judge Texas by drowning people in nursing homes, I'd probably say that some of them were probably saved good people, and somebody's grandma. I don't know if I want to be a part of that band. Amen? You, you ain't going to convince me to jump on that. Why? Because that ain't good. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads men into a changed mind. The goodness of God. And it's not him that he's being good, it's that he is good. So I know people they think, well, Oh, God has to judge like that. Well, no, God's with the Holy Spirit. We're we're living in the in the age of grace that's going to continue throughout eternity. Where we're led by the Holy Spirit. And I know a lot of people say, Well, God done that. You know, you done that. I put that on my Facebook the other day. We we blame God and we blame the devil for about everything we do. We say, and this happens in the church. So something can happen to you. Somebody's gonna say, well, you know what? You're not doing what you're supposed to, so God's He's whooping you. Or they'll say, you're doing what you're supposed to do, so that's why the devil's attacking you. So you, you're lost either way. Either way. No matter what happens, it's either God or the devil, but it's just going to happen. What about sowing and reaping? What about you done that, you stuck your finger in there, and you slammed the door on it? If you had to stuck your finger, he wouldn't slam the door on it. But we're going to blame it on God. Well, God, I'm having a bad day today because the devil just all over me. No. That's not, how, that's not how the restoration of all things happen. The re restoration of all things happen when you quit taking your eyes off what, what you think happens and start looking at what's really happening and saying, you know what? Maybe I'll not do it that way again. Maybe I'm going to try a different route. It's all stand tonight, amen?